Hi, welcome to Authentically ADHD with your host, me, Carmen, where we talk all things ADHD, the good, the bad, the ugly. I give you tips and tricks, and I love talking about it. I'm an early childhood special education teacher. I am a certified life coach, and I'm a fellow ADHDer. We have a lot of topics that we can overshare and talk about. So let's get started. Hi friends. I am super excited for today's episode. I'm so glad you tuned in to listen to my conversation with Emily. So Without further ado, let's get started. Hey, Emily. Hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh my gosh. I've, <laughs> it's so funny to talk to somebody now, like after all this Zoom, to not see anyone's face. I'm going to have to. I know. I know. People always ask me um, if I ask them kind of to be on the podcast, like, oh, how does it work? You know, is it a video? And I'm like, nope. You just have to click a link. And then you come right on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Perfect. I'll have to find something to um, look at. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, my Zoom, my Zoom audio is terrible. It's terrible. Like my computer audio, my phone audio is so much better. Okay. Gotcha. Well, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I am super excited to have you on. I, Thanks um, for asking. I, uh, no problem. I have a confession to make. I listened to your episode um, from the Women in ADHD podcast, and I immediately connected it with you because you said you used to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then I saw your posts in our community, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, wait a second. That's that's the same person. Oh, funny. Like, you had listened <laughs> before. Yes, before I saw oh. Funny. And I was like super excited. And I was like, I was embarrassed at first. And I'm like, why am I embarrassed? Why could you listen to certain podcast episodes? Like, of course you listen to her episodes. They're great. I love them. I love the stories. And that's partially one of the reasons that I invited you here onto my show is because I wanted more people to tell their stories about, um, their experiences with ADHD and the things, the wonderful things that come along with it. (laughs) So many wonderful things. So many. So I did see, um, you know, how that you were a teacher. Um, You're not anymore. No, I'm not. Nope. No. And then um, do you want to share a little bit more about why or? Um, Yeah. So um I think basically my whole life, I wanted to be a teacher. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I went to undergrad um, in uh, for a um, degree in early childhood education um, mm-hmm. and did not get a teaching job or did not even apply, did not look for teaching jobs um, upon graduation. Um, you know, at the time, I think I was telling people, 
you know, I want to see what else there is for me to do before I teach, because once I teach, I want, you know, I want that to be it. And so I want to see if there's anything else I can do in the meantime. And, you know, um, in hindsight, like that was a big old excuse for (laughs) avoiding this really hard thing to do and having no idea how to figure out how to apply to schools and where to look. And there's just like so much involved. I don't even think I had finished taking all the MTELs before I graduated, which is a big thing. Like I had not given myself time to take them before graduating. Um, So, you know, I just, I didn't go that route. And I was, I think in my graduating class, the people who are, who are in my program, I think I was the only one who didn't go that route. And I definitely masked, masked it as like, this was my choice. And underneath it was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, Just scary. Yeah. Um, So I I went and I got a nannying position, Um, you know, that was fun and easy while it lasted. And about two years in, I was like, this is, I can't, this is, what am I even doing with my life? This is not meaningful. Um, I went and got a job in early intervention, which um, is working with, um, you know, zero to three-year-olds on language, anything development-based. That was also great for a while. It was, you know, I created my own schedule. I saw lots of different kids. I was with kids. It was fun um, until I had to put like a portfolio together around like my two year mark of being there. I knew it was coming up. I was also starting to really struggle with like the making of my own schedule and getting enough clients in a week and all of that. And I knew I hadn't, I didn't have any system of organization for what I had done over the past two years to make this portfolio. And so I left there, um, did a bit more nannying. And then my dear wife finally, you know, like really supported me in taking those MTELs and helping me, you know, figure out where to start in applying to teaching positions. And um, so I finally did that about six years after graduating. Um, I got a teaching position and um, uh, it was it was just so hard for me. <laughs> um, I'm rambling a bit, um, but yeah, it was just no. so hard for me. I mean, as it is for anybody in their first year, obviously. Um, but it's just you know so much is thrown at you all at once. I had no idea. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. I was also out of kind of like the education world for six years, so things were different from when I graduated. Um, and I just felt like every single day from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep, I was trying to figure out what the hell I was doing. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I just want to interrupt you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah please do. You know, not, not like we, we do that or anything. Um, <laughs> you asked me I, just, and I went back way before teaching. So, well, know. and no, this really, it really, actually, it's very interesting because I have the exact same degree mm-hmm. in early childhood education in Illinois. And my reaction instead of like, mine was like the opposite of yours where I was like, all right, I got to get a job, get a job like right now or else I'm never going to get one. And then I have to stay there forever. 
and now I'm kind of questioning my options. But the reason that I, the reason that I actually interrupted you was to ask you if you and I are the same age. I'm 31. I'm 37. Oh, hold on. Oh, okay. How old am I? <laughs> I think I'm 37. You're like, how old am I? I okay, because you said seven years after you graduated. Oh no, okay, got you. Because I I've been teaching for seven years, so I made some kind of weird connection in my brain where I was like, wait a second, did we graduate at the same time? Oh, yeah. So and things I, have changed oh, in the seven years that even I've been teaching. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're constantly changing too, which is good in one sense, but also not great when you have to relearn everything and get new materials and organize again and any kind of system you had beforehand just kind of gets thrown out the window um exactly yeah it's like the con it's like i know we like constantly changing things but not not when it comes to that <laughs> that was too hard for me to constantly have new curriculums and new um schedules and new yeah it didn't, there was, I, I felt like I couldn't get into any kind of like rhythm. Something yeah. Really and see, bad. I guess I found, I found like my rhythm and things, and that's not necessarily the hard part for me. I, I guess for me, it's the, um, the emotional part of it all, the toll oh, yeah. <laughs> that it takes <laughs> that sometimes on Saturdays, I feel like actually physically ill because I yeah. need to like sleep off yeah. or like process these emotions that I didn't realize were so big before, which is why I burnt out my first year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, what's interesting is, um, I actually was always really, really focused on like the social emotional piece when it came to my students. That was like, Oh yeah. When I was deciding to leave, I was, I was kind of thinking like, this is, this is the part that I am actually going to miss the most. And I don't even think I realized what I was doing at the time, but I do think that there was this part of me that felt very compelled to kind of um, help these kids with these like coping mechanisms or just like their emotions, how to calm down and all that, because it was not something that I had or, or even possessed at the time, but maybe really, really wanted, um, and that was always kind of my, I think that was like my gift when it came to teaching. Like, yes, I could, I could teach the curriculum and I, I, you know. We could teach numbers fine. and letters and yeah, all those things, but. Was I organized? No. Did I get things? No. Nope. No. Did I have any kind of file system? No. Was I planning for the next day, every single day? Yes. There. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I really, really enjoyed kind of like connecting with the kids and like, um, wow, I never really thought about it that way because that's what I'm complimented on all the time. Yeah. My team, my team relationship and Mm -hmm. our relationship with the kids Mm -hmm. and, and my specific relationship with all the kids, um, because I teach in a very diverse district, Mm -hmm. um, Yes. So it's really important to make connections with all of your kids. And I've been told that like I do, that I do connect with them on a a really good level. And yeah, I'm I'm same thing, passionate about helping them give names to these feelings, helping them process through them, letting them know like it's okay. 
to, to have this feeling and like what's okay to, to do with the feeling, you know, like right. we're not going to punch anybody. We're, <laughs> we're going to try to calm down. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I wish I knew now what I knew then. I mean, I, th- I think I still, you know, did okay in that kind of quest of mine, but knowing what I know now, um, I think it could have, I, I could have had a lot more to offer, but I was always definitely like being told like, Hey, like, I think I'm going to try to put this kid in your class next year because he's like really is, you know, having a hard time. And I think, you know, you, re- and it's, so I was constantly. I hear of, that a lot that. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, which I loved. I mean, that was, yeah. that was part of what was pretty hard to come to terms with in leaving was that I knew that I did play a, a pretty important role um, in that, in that respect. And so I, there was a little, there, there was a lot of guilt leaving because I knew that um, I don't want to say I was needed, but that, that type of support really needed. And, yeah. um, but ultimately I just, um you know, I, you I were needed, but you didn't need that. Sorry, what? That. I said what I meant to say was you're needed, but you didn't need, you know, what they needed from you. You couldn't give that. Yeah, right. I, I, you know, I had undiagnosed ADHD at the time too, so I really had no idea why everything was so hard for me. Um, I, I just, I had this feeling of like, how am I getting here at six 30 in the morning and I'm leaving at six at night. And I still have no idea what I'm doing past the first two hours tomorrow. And, you know, um, people who were just like leaving right after school, I was like, wow, well, how, <laughs> how, how do you know what you're doing? How, like, um, you know, and that wasn't just my first year. That was all six years I was teaching, you know, maybe towards the end, I got a little more comfortable. I had like, maybe I had a loose idea of what I was doing for the week, but then inevitably my time management was horrible and I wouldn't get to the end of a lesson. So then it threw off everything else. And, um, oh, I totally understand. <laughs> and you said early childhood. So we were teaching pre-K. No, I was in second, I was teaching second grade. Well, either way, both, I'm sure, are very difficult. And it is, what, March of my seventh year? And I still make sure I write out in the morning what it is that I intend to do for the day. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, the intention is is followed, and and sometimes it's not. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and I also always remember when I was teaching, like, I had a lot of colleagues that were going to pick up their kids from school or a lot of parents. And I always thought, like, oh, my God. I could never go home to a kid right now. I do not know. Nope. And I still, I give all of my teacher friends who are, te- all my teacher friends, an immense amount of credit, all my teacher friends who are parents. It's like, I, I don't even, so I, when I was teaching, I didn't have kids. Um, mm-hmm. I took a year off when I first had my kids, but then it really became like, now that I have kids, I cannot imagine teaching. <laughs> and coming home to this it just it was not it was so clearly not something that was going to be sustainable for me and and I just the thought of going back was just I dreaded it so I couldn't wrap my head around how I would make it happen um and so that was oh I totally that it wasn't gonna happen (laughs) 
Yeah, and I totally resonate with all of what you're saying. I, when I was little, I, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, but I thought I wanted to also like be the Brady Bunch and like have seventeen right. children. Yep. And that, as I grew older, I, I want dogs. I, um, yeah, I love my teaching job, and I want, I want dog children. Um, yeah, because I don't know how these people do it. I give my teacher friends for their birthdays. I give them a free babysitting mic for their birthdays, and it's like their favorite present yeah, ever. Because really like, nice. yeah. Because I'm like, I don't understand how you do it. Like, I'll come in with your kids on a Friday night. You go out. You do whatever. Have a great time. No, I really don't. I I don't. I I agree. I also. I've always worked with kids. I've always loved kids. You know, it was like babysitting, camp counselor, um, teaching, early intervention, everything. Kids, kids, kids. And then I had my own kids, and do not have the capacity for other kids and don't want more kids. And um, yeah, it's, it's, sorry. Um, it's it's no problem. a lot. I would never try to convince somebody to have a child who wasn't a hundred percent sure because it's a lot. I love my yeah. child dearly and it's a lot. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I hear that. A lot. I either get that reaction or you might change your mind. Yeah, like, no. Yeah, okay. I I have I have a few friends who are uh, who are no kid people, and I'm like, good for you. That's a. I would never try to convince you otherwise because it, that's I, so beautiful. You know, um, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when did you start 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 suspecting mm-hmm. that you had? ADHD or what kind of came about? Um, so, you know, I've kind of always been like the person with like those obvious ADHD characteristics that like mm-hmm. kind of poke fun at, like the easily distracted or not paying attention or, you know, those obvious things. Um, and because that's what I kind of knew of ADHD is those obvious things, you know, even in my, I probably had no idea about it in, in high school and, and probably most of college too. Um, but you know, in my early adulthood, it was, you know, kind of like people poked fun. And Mm -hmm. to me, it was like, if this is ADHD, like, I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, being distractible or, you know, the, those very stereotypical things that I thought of it. Like, it was like, I wouldn't, it's not, it's not negatively affecting my life. So, you know, whatever. So why would you, yeah, right. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously as I got into teaching and I was really struggling there again, I don't even really think that I thought ADHD was playing a factor, but it definitely was the first time where um, just everything was a struggle. And I think that has- Everything to- felt hard yeah, as concrete. <laughs> right. I had I was kind of in this position where there was so much to um, manage. There was so much to plan. There was so much to organize. There was constantly new information. Things were constantly changing. I just really couldn't cope with it. Um, I still didn't really suspect ADHD. I don't think. I don't remember exactly. Uh, after I had my kids- Um, again, I wasn't, it it wasn't, I wasn't suspecting ADHD either, but I did know that like 
for the amount that I wanted to be a mom and I was so excited to have kids, like it just didn't feel like I was doing well. Um, and I started therapy, which, you know, was quasi helpful probably when my kids were around one, um, when they were closer to two and I was still just, you know, then it was pandemic and everybody wasn't doing well. So you just, oh yeah, this is Tell me somebody who was, and I'd love to talk to him. Right. <laughs> um, but somebody had just casually mentioned that something I had said or did, um, asked if I had ADHD because it was like a very ADHD kind of response or something. And I was like, huh, that, no, but that's like funny. Cause I guess that's, I didn't realize that that was that obvious to somebody or that, that, and it just kind of got me a little bit more like looking at stuff and, um, oh yeah, that one little comment yeah. you down in Google, mm-hmm. especially if they're right, yes. which they were, yes. right? You <laughs> and so you can go down things, and then you're like, oh, whoa, 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 and then it becomes everything, and then it really made me realize how my thought before of like, if this is ADHD, you know, whatever, it's not affecting my life. Um, how much it actually was affecting my life and how much it was affecting every part of my life and had been affecting my life. And while it had been okay up until that point, sort of, you know, uh, it was no longer okay. Um, so that's, you were making it through and then kaboom. Yes. And then things were just not really manageable. Like you, you're maybe you're, you're floating and treading water for a while. And then, um, yeah, no longer (laughs) starting to sink a little bit. So, um, and I'm really thankful for that because it really, you know, it brought me to like such a better understanding of what was going on and where all my struggles were coming from. And, um, it really uncovered like so much shame that I had been dealing with of like, you know, what's wrong with me? Why am I the way that I am? Why am I constantly letting people down? Why am I constantly forgetting? Why did I screw this up? You know, all those things. I didn't feel good about it at first. um, But I'm really grateful that at least I was able to see that I'm not, you know, I wasn't, completely crazy like this is it's a a thing (laughs) Um, yeah it's actually it's a neurodevelopmental condition that we have and I mean I had to um basically go to uh, a mental hospital to stay inpatient for them to formally diagnose and treat me correctly um which is why I always suggest and here's my little plug for a full evaluation by a psychologist yeah. And then following up with psychiatry because general practitioners sometimes should not be prescribing things for mental health disorders. And well, that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the scary thing too, I would even go further to say like, do a lot of your own research too, because the first psychiatrist I saw, I was met with, you're an anxious mom. And, um, oh yeah. Oh, the misdiagnosis. Oh yeah. I mean, just wildly dismissed offered anxiety meds, which I 
turned down because I was just, I, Oh, wasn't it like a 10 minute appointment too? This was part of that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, they set up the appointment incorrectly. They set me up with, um, I guess I don't exactly know how to, what to call it, but like the, the woman, she was a psychiatrist, but she mostly dealt with like drug, uh, with, uh, uh, meds and like, you know, uh, doses and, and whatnot. So Things really like she should have just ended the call right away. She shouldn't have, she shouldn't have carried on, but she was a licensed psychiatrist who felt like in listening to me for 10 minutes, had the authority to say, you just sound like you have anxiety. And if you want some meds for that, I can give you a prescription. Um, luckily I had done enough of my research beforehand. Um, and I knew that this is something that commonly happens and I had kind of like built my own self-trust around what I knew was going on to not listen to her just because she was a psychiatrist. Um, but had I not had, I just kind of been like, maybe this is what's going on. I don't know. I should go see a professional. And that's what I had been met with. Um, I, I, that's what I would have taken away. Like, Oh, she's a psychiatrist. I I guess I just have anxiety. And that's just what happens. I mean, the amount of especially adult women who have just been diagnosed with anxiety or depression or bipolar or, you know, whatever. You just named the first three. What? Yeah. You just named the first three that I was diagnosed with. I would have gone to the hospital because I didn't need to be on lithium. Right. I mean, come on. Right. When you're treated for those, um, you, when you're treated for anxiety and depression and your anxiety and depression is coming from undiagnosed ADHD, you're not treating the anxiety and depression. You're just making it worse. And, and you're um, not treating the ADHD and, and, yeah. and then you feel, and then the shame. Yeah. And the shame comes back. Cause you're like, what, what is wrong with me? Right. And how you kind of said with your life, how you grew up and you were like, oh, you know, even if it is ADD, it's like your ADHD, it's it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. I grew up not knowing what it was, knowing there was something Uh wrong, knowing there was something different about me and just almost screaming on the inside, like, will somebody just help me figure out why it feels like I'm wading through water all the time. And when they finally gave me the ADHD diagnosis, my problem was that they just hand hand you a prescription and send you out the door. Like that's going to fix it. (laughs) Yes. You shouldn't even say fix it, but that's what their assumption is. This will, this will fix it. Yes. Like, yes, these pills will also teach you skills and you'll just be able to regulate everything now. No, no, no. It's awful. I mean, it's just such a disservice to, you know, everybody who's going through this and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's painful to hear those stories. And I, and I, you're right. I was lucky as a kid that, that things were pretty easy for me. Um, growing up in terms of ADHD symptoms, you know, I, my sister, um, who also later in life, um, has realized and has been diagnosed with ADHD. She probably had more of an experience like you had where, Mm. um, you know, she, wasn't, you know, in therapy, diagnosed with anxiety, depression, you know, that experience. So we both had very different experiences. And it's interesting um, later in life, kind of comparing how 
A, our symptoms can be so different. We, we present so differently. We had such different experiences yet, like at the bottom of all of it is still this very universal experience that we both had of, um, kind of feeling misunderstood or kind of wondering what you were missing or, um, trying to pretend you're something you're not, or, overcompensating or, you know, all of that stuff that just comes in lots of different flavors. So we, yes, that we later realized we were masking Mm -hmm. to try to look normal, quote unquote, normal um, to the people around us. And I mean, I remember distinctly, I could escape into a daydream that was so strong (laughs) that my name needed to be called three to four times. And they maybe had to even bang on the desk to get me to come out of the daydream. And that's a teacher in public, like my teacher. And I remember these things and I laugh now, but at the time, the shame and the embarrassment that a third grader feels, you know, because you were daydreaming, you know, you, you were literally just spaced out, like, and you don't know for how long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hi, friend. Would you do me a really quick favor and scroll up to the top of your podcast app and rate and review the show for me? I would really appreciate it. If not, at least maybe share it with a friend or somebody you think could benefit from it. That way I can make sure I'm helping as many people as humanly possible. Thank you for listening, rating, and reviewing the show. Right. And it's just, uh, it's like, you can't even, you know, there's nobody knew when we were kids, what ADHD, especially in girls. I mean, it was just, there was one presentation that people were on the lookout for. So it's like, you know, I can't even. Which was the little it. white boy who bounces off the walls and has behavior issues. Right. And not the, you know, I was a really good, well-behaved kid. I did, you know, I hated getting in trouble. That was one of my compensations, I think, oh, yeah. was behaving well, mm-hmm. always yeah. being good right. and quiet and right. make sure, except I was a chatty. I did get in trouble for talking too much. Right. Well, that's what then also makes it really hard when you know this idea that like the symptoms had to have been present when you were young because you yes. kind of look back and it's really hard to see uh were the symptoms there were you masking were you compensating like it's really it's really hard to pull it apart um i remember the first time i i talked to my dad about it uh because i knew i was going to have to get kind of this like what was your childhood like and the kind of the running joke in my family has always been that like my sister is the difficult one and I was the easy one. Like I never caused any problems. I was just kind of like along for the ride. And so in my head, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to pull from my childhood. Um, and I, I asked my dad to kind of think about it. And his first thing that he came back to me with was he kind of said, you know, he was like, you know, if I, I'm really, uh, I'm struggling here because, you know, if you're looking for, like things that we saw that would make us think that you had ADHD as a kid. Like, I just, I can't really come up with anything because, you know, you, 
really, there were things that you really wanted to do. And when you really wanted to do them, like you got them done. And, you know, he was like, you know, you guys wanted to run that park and that camp in the park that one year. And you got, you were like so focused and you made it happen. And there were things you loved in school and blah, blah. And I was like, okay. I was like, but how about the things that I didn't really want to do? Like, were there like homework? Like, well, he was like, well, yeah. I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't really want to do something, if you weren't interested, it was, it was kind of like pulling teeth, but when you were interested, you were able to do it. And I was like, yeah, dad, <laughs> that's, that's like the definition right there. Um, you know, and then we got into the fact that I was constantly falling off chairs as a kid. I, I mean, it, that was another joke for me as a kid. I was, I fell off a chair like twice a week. Cause I was probably just sitting there fidgeting. Um, you know, I was known as falling the, chairs, the yeah. messes that we always have. Yeah. Well, I was also known as like the kid with like my head in the clouds. Like it was always yes. just like, Emily, do you want to do this thing? And I'd be like, okay, no, just sure. I always appeared to be in another world. And so it's just. It was a running joke when I was a kid that if they were to drop me off on the other side of the neighborhood, that I wouldn't be able to find my way back. And I fully admit that is 100% true or was, I can now, but yeah. it was true. Right. When most kids my age could find their way back home I'm from the yeah. other side of the neighborhood, I didn't yeah. have any direction. Yeah. I mean, probably something was like, you know, you saw something cool and gravitated towards that. And all of a sudden you're, you know. Always the pretty the shiny things. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like this just, I think there's just this, I, it's the little girl who's just kind of like a daydreamer, kind of in her own world and doesn't cause any problems. And um, unfortunately, those are, you know, the adults who are now finding this out now about themselves and are really piecing, um, putting the pieces together. And, you know, when you were a little kid, maybe it didn't come up in big places, but obviously, you know, as you get into adolescence and then young adulthood, um, it plays a bigger role. So I, you know, again, like I don't fault my parents for not, Oh no. Who knew at the time that that was ADHD when I was a teacher, I think back on a lot of the kids, um, in my class when I was a teacher and I, I cringe a little bit because it's like, I saw similarities in them that I saw in me. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't relate it to ADHD at all, I kind of went about trying to like help them get better at these things. You know, like if they had a messy desk, I would, really like not come down on them, but like, this is important to keep your, your desk clean. The chatty kids, like was trying to move them so they could be in a place where they were like more focused. They didn't want to talk to their friends. When, if you're a chatty kid, you're going to talk to anyone. I was going to say, it didn't uh, matter yeah, where you moved under it because it didn't matter for me. Right. <laughs> me. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, I, I think like some of those kids also probably had ADHD, but I didn't know what it looked like when I was a teacher. And so my teachers didn't know what it looked like when I was a kid. And so now it's just, it's like, there's just so much more education and awareness that needs to be brought. Exactly. Um, needs to be done. It needs to be published, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this because, <laughs> you know, ADHD is so, it, it affects so many parts of our lives. And I didn't, just like you said, I didn't really realize it until I became an adult and I was having a hard time adulting, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why is this so hard for me? Yeah. 
And a friend, one of my best, actually my best friend has ADHD. And she was like, have you ever thought that maybe she's like, cause you don't like seem hyper. That's like one of the things I get all the time, all the time. You don't seem hyper. And I'm like, yep. Be inside my brain go inside there. (laughs) And you'll see the hyperactivity. Right. Right. Um, Or like watch me twirl my hair for 20 minutes and ask me why. And I'll tell you that right there. It's my hyperactivity. It's cause I don't have anything to do with my hands. Like, one of those things. Um, And so then my mission was to basically learn everything I could about it um, while in therapy. And then I ended up with these paper piles that turned into a podcast and, and now we're here. Um, And I I teach preschool. So I'm very grateful because you said second grade. So that's an age that that's like right on the cusp of like when their brain, when you can kind of get it, you know, when mm-hmm. it can be diagnosed. So that's, mm-hmm. that's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it does bring up a lot of like, you know, I remember there were some kids who I was like, oh yeah, that we need to talk to their parents about ADHD. And, but it was the really obvious kids, you know, yeah. I think about, you know, I, I remember I had this one little girl, she was so smart. Um, and, I just, she was always like in her own little world, but she was so smart. It didn't affect her schoolwork, you know, and I just, I'm not saying she has ADHD, but now knowing what I know, I wish I had known it then because I just wonder what was going on there. You know, I, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of missed, um, missed opportunities probably from my standpoint. But again, like, you know, I'm not, I, I don't guilt myself. Like, you know, I'm not shaming myself and I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, exactly. you know, but I do think back and think like, just oh, wonder, could have, maybe. you know, right. I could have approached this differently if I knew then what I knew or what I know now. Um, and so I do, I think it's like, I love all the podcasts. I love, I mean, because right now, like, like yeah, we're saying uh, there's a lot of, you know, um, doctors, psychiatrists, whatever, they, they don't, they don't know enough. And they so don't. Kind of on my own psychiatrist college. right now, I mentioned something about being, um, I don't remember how I worded it, but I had to actually use a word and I had to associate it with executive dysfunction for her to understand mm-hmm. that it wasn't just my emotions, my anxiety. It was the right. regulation yeah. of it. And she was even confused. And then that made me confused because I'm like, right. what, you don't know this? Like, aren't you supposed to know this? Yeah. Yeah. So. Which, which it's like, it, it, that's why, I mean, we've, we've both um, been in ADHD coaching, obviously. And that's why that piece is so important because somebody who understands your brain and understands how you function and understands why things are challenging for you and that it's not the same as a neurotypical person like yes maybe we have the same struggle but the but it might be for very different reasons and so it has to be approached in a really different manner um and the difference between like speaking to somebody who has and understands, I mean, even understands is great, but even has and understands, I think is better. Um, There's just a level of community. Yeah. And and, and for understanding, I mean, that's, I think that's, I recently realized that, you know, when people talk about love languages, I saw something somewhere 
about how being understood is a love language. And I was like, ah, oh, yes. That is my love language. That's all I ever want is to feel understood and to feel like you know what I'm saying and you get it. And so often that is not the case. And so when you meet other people with ADHD who do, you're like, ah, yay. You finally understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I love. Yeah. I love that about um, the community that we're in, um, which is why, you know, the ripple effect that I'm, I'm trying to create, you know, one that is safe for people um, to feel that they can be like, hey, like, is this, is this ADHD or, mm-hmm. or that they can listen to these podcasts and maybe they just got diagnosed and they can feel understood, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it's hard. It's hard. And like you yeah. said, I feel like we finally are at that place where it, we're being understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to help other people get there, you know, just yeah. like you, just like yeah. a lot of people, you know, who have this disorder and understand it. Because um, even there's a lot of people that do have it that that still may not even understand it. So, yeah. well, and, and I also like that's there's a there's a part of me that like things moving forward, like I really think about the parent population, you know, especially moms, um, because Mm -hmm. there's just so much narrative around like mom brain and, you know, being a new parent. And that's just kind of what life is like. You're scattered, you're this, you're that, you know. Um, And I think it really, because those, you know, kind of our generation of, of women is the, like, this is the generation that is starting to kind of figure it out later in life. Um, this age range, so many of them are moms. This is a weird generalization. I don't even know if I want to say it like that, but if you have- No, I feel like I've age- seen a little bit of this kind of generalization, a lo- like, yeah, trending sort of, if you, if, if we must use these words, I yeah. don't know, we can't think of better words. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, if you have undiagnosed ADHD and you've been doing all right, like I had been, and then you become a mom and the narrative around being a mom is that you have mom brain and you forget things and the house is a mess and all these things. Um, even if you're feeling like you're struggling more than other people, there's still a part of you that can just be like, I guess this is just being a mom. I guess this is just what everybody's talking about. Um, and so I think it can then become even harder to find the help that you need because you don't want to try to say that you're struggling more than any other mom out there, or it's embarrassing to feel like you're struggling more than other moms out there. And because a lot of the symptoms that, um, a lot of the symptoms that we can experience or struggle with, you know, again, like they're universal, like everybody struggles with them from time to time. Um, And so it's not, you'll never bring up a thing that you've done and not have somebody else be like, oh yeah, I've done that before. Like, oh yeah, that is so hard for me too. Um, And so- Like, yes, you forget your car keys, but do you do it on a weekly basis? Right. I think because like these, these struggles are so universal and everybody can relate. You, 
it's like you there's it's hard to find the differentiation between like everybody says they're late to appointments and like yeah but i tried so i can't even tell you how hard i tried to get there on time or and you know somehow i was still 15 minutes later i had to get there a half an hour early so that i could be there on time or i forgot about the appointment altogether it's like it's really hard to differentiate and so it's like the more information you can just put out there and hope that somebody else can see and realize like it's different than just human struggles. Um, I mean, the more service you're doing for them, I mean, hope like this podcast, like somebody hopefully listens to it and it's like, all right, this is a little too relatable. This is really familiar. Um, like I think I might want to call my yeah. doctor or go see somebody or even just go down the rabbit hole of research. I mean, that's probably the most important first step because you don't want to be dismissed so quickly. Like do your own research and really figure out what's going on with yourself so that when you go see a doctor, you kind of can like have your own back and knowing what you're talking about because it's not as easy as going and you have a broken leg and they, you know, do an x-ray and here it is. It's, there's so much more, it depends on where you live. It depends on when you can get in to see someone. It depends on who you get in to see. Um, so. Yeah. There's so many factors. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the good thing is, is like, there's so much information out there now, you know, it's, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, you have to be discerning, right? They, right now that there's a lot of information, there's also a lot of, you know, misleading information out there. Yes. Um, but if you're going to go down the rabbit hole and really get sucked into it and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like signs point to you probably have it. Cause like my wife didn't go down the rabbit hole with me. Like, you know, exactly. she might relate to some of it, but she's not like, this explains my whole life. So it's like um, everything you ever thought that was, you know, or you told it, you were told it was just normal. It was just kind of yeah, something like that. That now, and really, you know, it's is impairing. Yeah, to you know, being a mom, or it's yeah. impairing to your job, or like you know, just it basic living things. And yeah. I say basic living things because for ADHDers basic living is harder it's not impossible but it's harder so i just want to hone in again um community piece and the research piece and making sure you know what you know get into a community get around yourself with people who Mm -hmm. will help you to the path of being understood right Right. Because, you know, there's this whole idea once you're diagnosed, it's like, cool, now I know, let's fix it. Like, let's fix me so I can function like a normal human being. Um, and it's like, and it's, broken. I know, it's such a sad narrative to think like, how many people are out there just feeling broken? And it's like, you are struggling, like things are really challenging for you. Sometimes it feels like it's just always going to be like this. Um, but people who have ADHD aren't broken. They just do things differently. And so we're all trying to do things the way society is telling us to do them. And we all have expectations thrust upon us that, you know, are very ableist. 
and from, you know, a neurotypical viewpoint. And so it's like, we're not broken. We're just in a system that's really challenging for us. And um, there's support. We can support ourselves. We can find different ways to do things that work for us. Like we don't have to be fixed. And that's just a really, sometimes that's a hard thing to, that's a hard pill to swallow because it's accepting that you can't be fixed. Um, But it's also, once you get past that, hopefully pretty empowering, right? To know that's the word that was coming to my head because there's wheelchair ramps, right? Built for people who have broken legs or can't use their legs. But it's empowering to know that we decide how we could do life to the best of our abilities. Um, even though I do think there should be an equivalent sometimes to an ADHD ramp, to say. Um, and I'm sure that will come in time with more research and things like that. Yeah. But the empowering part to know that we can create a life yeah. to live right. on our own terms, in our own way, and be successful and be awesome moms and be awesome right. teachers and coaches and success stories. Right. Right. I mean, and that's one of, that's the main reason that I decided to become a coach because, you know, I, a, I just realized how much it changed my life and my perspective on everything. And then it just became like this, I, this is all I want to do is help other people yes. down the same path that I was, that I was, and still am being helped down. Um, because right, we don't have the equivalent of a wheelchair ramp being given to us. So like we make it for ourselves, um, and we make it with the support of our loved ones. And, um, we learn how to advocate for ourselves more instead of just kind of shrinking into this like little mold that we think we're supposed to be in. That's really destroying us. Exactly. Exactly. So um, before I forget this, um, if if any of my listeners are interested in getting some ADHD coaching, where can they find you? Um, So I am not, uh, I'm currently in um, a coach training program. So um, I'm not quite finished with that yet, um, but I will be by the summer. Um, So I don't have a coaching business yet. Um, but that's I, fantastic. <laughs> Congratulations. That's awesome. You know, yeah, it's, it's been great. Um, I just very reluctantly, but now I'm very excited about it. Did start, um, an Instagram page, um, that's less, you know, I don't know what, what, what I will be using it for, for the long term. but right now I just realized like, I know a ton and I want to let other people know what I know. So it's, it's definitely more of like an informational um, page right now. So I'm more than happy for people to check it out if they just want to kind of, I don't want to say learn the basics, but like, I'm just, I, I think, you know, there's so much ADHD content out there. There is. Um, and you can find it anywhere. And I think what I realized is because I see it everywhere, I assume everyone sees it everywhere. And like, that is actually not the case. I have a host of people in my, you know, personal network who have no idea anything about ADHD. 
And so I kind of started sharing it with the hopes that, you know, people who I know personally can learn more if they don't know anything. And I can be like the one ADHD content person in their feed, unlike mine, which is just all ADHD content. Um, anyways, to say that I, I just started it. So it's not, there's, there's not a ton, but if it's, um, I have to even think of what it is. It's, uh, ADHD, ADHD, um, dot with dot Emily. I hope, <laughs> I hope that's what it is. Let me double check. It's, it's not a problem. Uh, you can, yes, uh, double check. I do have it written down and I will link it in the show notes so that you can add Emily to your network of your community of ADHD information and to get in contact with her and watch out for when she officially becomes a coach because you might want her coaching. Yeah, hopefully. So, I mean- yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always seen. down for like answering questions or, you know, I reach out if you see content and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that. But I have a feeling anybody following your podcast maybe knows a bit about ADHD, but maybe not. They might not. And they might want to connect with someone else like that has it just to be, I know I have definitely followed way more people that have ADHD in their title because I want more of that in my feed that I noticed that, you know, I kind of saw it everywhere for a little bit and then I didn't. And then I was like, you know, I really want to be connected with the right, the right sources. So, Mm -hmm. so I'm really glad that, that we could, uh, I'm really happy we could do this today. Um, thanks for, thanks for reaching out. This was nice. I hope I, uh, I, I tend to talk a lot, so hopefully I didn't take Oh, oh I, that's like, that's like. Wow, what a great conversation. Wow, the road to being understood, it can sometimes uh, be painful. And if you identified with anything in this episode, please seek help from a medical professional and you can also join the coaching membership that Emily and I are both a part of. It's called Focused, and it was created by none other than Kristen Carter from the I Have ADHD podcast itself. It's linked in the show notes along with my summer ADHD boot camp that you can also sign up for along with Emily's information so you can follow her. Can't wait to expect our next guest on our next episode. Until then, stay authentic, my friends.